You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Well, I want to just uh, continue uh, in our series, uh, So Help Me God. We kind of started last Sunday, we started looking at the issue of shame. And if you notice, you'll see a lot of the things that were talked about in that video are things that uh, are driven uh, or oftentimes kind of come out of a place of great shame. And so we wanted to kind of just talk about uh, that shame. And so um, if you did not, were not here last Sunday, I would strongly encourage you, get on the website and listen to the first part of this. Obviously, I can't go through everything again, or I'll get no further than I got last week. Um, so let me just briefly kind of bring you up to speed. If you were not here, uh, and just to refresh your memory, if you were here uh, when we talked about that. Shame is one of those emotions, Every one of us have experienced multiple times. Shame is one of those experiences every one of us is going to encounter again in our lives multiple times. But it's one of those things we rarely ever want to acknowledge, much less talk about. And the reason is because oftentimes the shame that we are under or are experiencing is tied to a very painful, a very traumatic experience or event in our lives. And to talk about that shame that, uh, that we're experiencing would necessitate talking about the experience or the trauma that is is creating or driving a lot of that shame. And so what we oftentimes do is we just don't talk about shame. Shame is really being defined. I kind of gave several definitions of that. Again, when I'm talking about shame, I'm talking about that painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So when I talk about shame, I also would need to talk about that wrong or that foolish behavior, whether that's mine or whether it was something that was done um, to me that's generating the shame. And again, rather than talk about the experience, uh, generating and driving the shame, we kind of just learn kind of how to live with it and we just make whatever adjustments in life we need to make uh, to kind of just deal with it uh, and we're kind of just hoping as the saying goes, time heals everything. Well, it doesn't. We also talked about two main truths when it comes to shame. And, and the first truth is it's universal. Everyone, everywhere, every culture, every generation, since Adam and Eve's fall in the Garden of Eden has experienced shame. No one is immune from this. What started with Adam and Eve has been experienced by every person who has ever lived, and we will all again experience shame multiple times uh, in the future. So the feeling of shame is something we all share in common. It's something we've all experienced. The second truth we talked about regarding shame is that shame flourishes. It really thrives in secrecy. We talked about shame really kind of needs three things to grow, silence, secrecy, and judgment. 
The moment you begin to talk about the things that are causing you shame, and I kind of went through a lot of my own personal experiences and examples uh, within the last couple of years of, of events that really drove a lot of shame in my life. And again, when you begin to talk about those things that are causing the shame, the experience as well, shame kind of begins to lose its power, its grip over your life. Our shame is brought out of darkness and, and into the light through our sharing of it. Shame begins to dissolve the moment we begin to just open up and talk about it. Here's how Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, puts it. She said, shame derives its power from being unspeakable. If we cultivate enough awareness about shame to name it and to speak to it, We've basically cut it off at its knees. Shame hates words wrapped around it. If we speak shame, it begins to wither. So that's just, again, a very quick overview of what we talked about last week. Now, one of the things I talked about briefly last week, and this is where I want to pick it up this morning. How do we develop what therapists call shame resilience? Again, there's no such thing as shame resistance. There's nothing you can do that just says, I'm never ever gonna experience shame again, okay? I, it doesn't matter how great of a Christian you are. It doesn't matter how deep in the spirit of, of God and, and those things you walk. Every one of us is going to encounter, we are going to experience shame. So there's no such thing as shame resistance, being shame proof. The goal is shame resilience. What we're after is once those feelings, that experience of shame kind of begins to come to us, how do we deal with those feelings in a way that allows us to move through that experience, through those feelings, through that emotion that's causing the shame in such a way that it doesn't drive us, our emotions, our reactions in a negative, hurtful, or destructive way? That's what I mean when I talk about shame resilience. And I'll give you a number of ways to look at shame resilience here in just a moment. Again, as I shared last week, Jesus experienced shame. He encountered shame, especially during the crucifixion. Let's review that again very, very quickly. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse one. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us Lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, and I love the new, I think it's the New Living Translation says, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, as I said last week, there is a great amount of shame attached to the very act of crucifixion. Back in Jesus's day, crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of criminals. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Galatians 3.13 that cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. Jesus hung upon a tree, and it was a declaration that Jesus was cursed, okay? So to be crucified in Jesus's day was a public declaration that you were 
a notorious criminal, and you were cursed, not just cursed in general, but you were also cursed by God. And not only did you hang upon the cross as the cursed of God, you also hung there naked, completely naked, which also added to the experience of shame that you would feel. It was part of the punishment. So I believe as Jesus is hanging there upon the cross, declared curse, naked, fully exposed, there was shame attached to that whole experience. Now what makes Hebrews 12 too so interesting, and again I think encouraging to us, is that while Jesus was enduring the cross, the word says that Jesus despised, he disregarded the shame that came with it, the shame that tried to attach itself to the act of crucifixion. Now that word despised in the Greek, it means to regard as nothing, to utterly despise or treat with contempt. So when Jesus is uh, there upon the cross, he's despising, he's disregarding the shame that comes with crucifixion. And he regarded that shame as nothing. In other words, Jesus did not allow that shame to attach itself to him or allow it to define him in any way. He did not allow that to affect his attitude. That's why he was able to look out and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Jesus was able to take that experience of shame and just completely disregard it. That is shame resilience. It doesn't drive his behavior, his attitudes, his action in any hurtful, destructive, ungodly way. That's what we're after. Jesus experienced shame, but he did not allow it to attach itself to him or define him in any way. So no matter what you do, you will never, ever avoid the potential of experiencing shame. But you can learn and grow in such a way as to how to disregard that shame like Jesus did. When shame comes to you, you can learn to disregard the shame and regard that shame as nothing. When shame shows up, you can learn to despise that shame in such a way that nothing will come upon you in a hurtful, destructive, negative, ungodly way. So how do we do that? First, you have to be able to recognize the voice, the feelings of shame, and understand its triggers. You gotta know how the voice of shame speaks to you. You have to be able to recognize how is shame working and driving and triggering me in my life? How is shame attempting to speak to me? How is it trying to operate in my life? Again, shame is universal. Everyone, everywhere, regardless of the culture, experiences shame, and it has the potential to dramatically affect our lives. If you do not understand and you do not recognize how shame is working in your life, how shame is speaking to you, how shame is driving you, your actions, your behavior, your reactions, uh, again, chances are very good that shame is just running rampant in your life. 
affecting you in ways you do not recognize or understand. Like I said last week, we don't want to talk about shame or acknowledge shame. It's evidence that there's plenty of it in our lives. And not just will shame affect you in your life, but shame will affect, it'll spill over into the lives of those you're closest to, those that you run around in life with. If you're filled with shame, you will react. You will begin to pour that shame out onto others. And one of the problems with shame is it keeps us small, petty, resentful, critical, and afraid. When we fail to come to terms with our shame, our struggles, we start believing there's something wrong with us. That we're bad, we're flawed, we're unlovable, we're not good enough. That, that's all the messages of shame. And even worse, we start acting upon and reacting upon those beliefs. And too often we respond to ourselves and to others out of our shame and our pain rather than out of our healing. Think about how different life would be for you if instead of reacting out of your shame, your pain, your hurt, you just started reacting to others out of your healing, out of your love for people, your compassion for people. Imagine how different life could and would be. And if we ever hope to be able to love others and ourselves as Jesus did, we have to develop resilience to the message of shame. Several years ago, Janie and I were talking and she had shared an experience that she had. And it was an experience that was very profound to me on several levels. And last Sunday afternoon, as we were driving uh, to Duluth, um, she had made the comment that this whole topic last Sunday uh, on shame really kind of gave her words to kind of understand what it was she had experienced that she was sharing with me that had happened several years ago. So I asked her um, to come this morning, and I want her to share this experience uh, with you, and I want you to kind of... Uh, understand, and, and I'm sure she'll explain again how that really kind of helped her in understanding and developing shame resilience, even though she may not have known at the time that's what it was. That's what it was. Now, part of what was so profound to me as Janie's sharing that is, you know, one of the things she had kind of talked about um, again was just, you know, not being so um, consumed by her mistake, by her, her failure in that one moment. Um, not allowing what other people thought, you know, to drive her. And I'm sitting there listening to that, and, and she kind of just has had this freedom, this release from this. I had not. And one of the triggers for me, um, it, and again, what, what Janie kind of talked about, you know, again, is, is we, we said this last week, ladies, the the, the biggest area where shame wants to operate and speak in your life is in appearance and body image. Okay, again, there's just this drive. You got to look perfect, be perfect, the perfect hair, the perfect makeup, the perfect clothes. There, there is this cultural drive that women need to be perfect. They need to look perfect. Um, and you're constantly comparing yourselves uh, to each other, uh, to women on, on magazines. It, it's just a huge area of shame. And I said motherhood is a very close second.
Um, and that's kind of what Janie was experiencing. See, again, guilt says that, that Janie made a mistake. Shame wanted to, to say to her, you're a bad mother. You know, you made a bad choice, Janie. That's guilt. Shame says you are a bad person. And again, that's, that's the difference um, in, in understanding, again, how shame wants uh, to come upon us. And one of the shame, the ways that we, uh, again, develop shame resilience, you've got to let go of what other people think about you. This is so key. If you're trying to think, where, where do I really need to begin in developing shame resilience? You've got to come to the point and place in your life where you begin to let go of caring about what other people think about you. That's really, really hard if you are like me, a people pleaser, or you're driven by perfection. Those are triggers for me. My desire to be a people pleaser and I'm driven by perfection. I don't wanna make mistakes, I don't wanna fail. What did I say last week, guys? What was, what's the number one area where most men experience shame? Don't wanna be a failure. Men don't wanna be perceived as weak. And so for me, when I make a mistake, I feel like a mistake's failure, I failed. I am a failure. That's shame. I need to say I made a mistake, I failed, in this area, but I'm not a mistake. I'm not a failure. Shame resilience, again, is that ability to say, I made a mistake, I misunderstood, I made a bad choice, I failed as a parent in this particular instance, this hurts, this is disappointing, even perhaps devastating, but I am not a mistake and I am not a failure. I choose to learn from this. I choose to grow from this experience. I will not allow the opinions of others or my desire, my drive for their approval cause me to live out of that place of shame. Shame resilience, again, it is the ability to recognize shame. You're able to see its source. You're able to understand what is triggering that and then move through that experience without sacrificing our values, our self-worth, and to be able to come out of the other side of that experience, that potentially shaming experience with more compassion, courage, and confidence in who I am as a beloved and fully accepted child of God. That's shame resilience. That's what Janie chose to do. Even Jesus, again, he had to fight the potential shaming from the religious leaders and followers of his ministry upon this earth. Even from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus was constantly being exposed to shame. In Luke chapter four, you have Jesus in the temple. He's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and Jesus goes to a very, very specific part uh, in Isaiah chapter 61 and, and there he reads this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Says Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. 
As you can well imagine, all eyes are fixed intently upon him. They're thinking, what is he doing? What's he thinking? What's he going to say? Then Jesus began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone is shocked at what they heard. Their mouths are hanging open. They clearly understood what Jesus said. Everything Jesus just read, he just said, yep, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of that. Then he began to say, and everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that fell from his lips. And here's what they said. How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Now, if you read just a few more verses, you know this incident turns super ugly very quickly. So much so that just a few verses later, as a result of what Jesus starts here uh, in, in Luke 4, they are wanting to try to throw Jesus over a cliff. It's that last line there. Isn't this Joseph's son? It, it was really intended to be a shaming phrase. As a matter of fact, this isn't the only time that line was used. It was used over in John chapter six. Jesus again is speaking and he's referring to himself as that bread that comes out of heaven. And the people's response to Jesus' statement there in verse 42 of chapter six, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his mother and father. In other words, uh, Jesus, who do you think you are? You are the son of a carpenter. Not to mention, you're from Galilee. And nothing good has ever come out of Galilee, the scripture says, they said. <laughs> come on, we know your mom and dad. And, and we think you're getting a little too big for your britches. So go back to the carpenter shop and, and just forget these, you know, illusions of grandeur. Again, there's that attempt to shame him. Jesus is beginning to step out and say, this is who I am. This is who my father has declared me to be. Oh, you're just Joseph's son from Galilee. Luke 8, you have the story of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue who comes to Jesus pleading with him, please come home. My 12-year-old daughter is about to die. Jesus agrees to go with him. As they're going, Jesus, you may remember, encounters this woman who's had this issue of blood for 12 years, 12 years of just nonstop bleeding. And so Jesus stops and he begins to minister to her. And as Jesus is encountering and healing this woman, you may remember a messenger, a servant of Jairus comes uh, to the house and he delivers the news to Jairus. Your daughter has died. There's no sense in bothering Jesus any longer. And Jesus tells Jairus, he said, no, 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 no. You have faith. Your daughter is going to be healed. When they arrive at Jairus' house, the scripture says it's full of people. They're weeping, grieving this young girl's death. Then in verse 52, Jesus tells the people, stop weeping. She is not dead. She's only asleep. Now, what was the crowd's reaction to Jesus' statement? Again, verse 53, the crowd 
laughed. Some translations say mocked Jesus because they all knew she had died. So the crowd, they're laughing, they're mocking Jesus. And again, the potential for shame is strongly present. What does Jesus do? He disregards it. He, he allows it to come to nothing. He recognizes the potential for shame, and he, again, does not allow it to affect or deter who he is or what he is called to do, the son of God. So Jesus allows Peter, James, and John and the girl's parents into the room. Once there, Jesus takes the little girl by the hand and tells her little girl, get up, and she does. That is shame, resilience. This isn't gonna define me. This isn't gonna stop me from being who I am in Christ. Shame, resilience, again, it's the ability to recognize shame. If you can't recognize it, again, it's running rampant. It's affecting you in ways you do not even begin to fully understand. It's recognizing shame, its source, the triggers, and then move through that shaming experience without sacrificing your values, your self-worth, to come out of that potentially shaming experience with more compassion, confidence, um, and courage in who you are as a truly beloved and fully accepted child of God. In Jesus' case, the Son of God, whom Jesus had heard earlier say, this is my beloved Son. Oh, in him, I am so well pleased. That is what Jesus based his identity upon, and nothing was gonna shake that. Nothing was gonna change that. Nothing was gonna alter that. Shame was no match for that. Remember what I said earlier, one of the ways we develop shame resilience is by letting go of what other people think of us. Jesus did this all the time. The only person's opinion of Jesus that mattered the most to him was that of his heavenly father. And we know based upon that proclamation following his baptism that Jesus was a beloved son someone that the father delighted and was well pleased with. That was the only opinion that mattered. It was the only opinion that drove Jesus and it's why he was able to encounter and to move past shame without letting it affect him or drive his decisions, his attitudes, his behavior in any hurtful, destructive, or ungodly way. So again, in order to, sh to develop shame resilience, you've gotta be aware of the voices of shame. How is shame speaking to you? How is it attempting you to act in a way that betrays your values or tries to convince you you are someone you are not? And shame will do that. It will try to define you, as Janie said. The devil was very, very subtle in his attempts to shame Jesus there in the wilderness. Remember, with every temptation, the devil prefaced every temptation with these doubting, potentially shaming words, if, if, if you are the son of God, change these stones to bread, 
cast yourself down from that highest pinnacle, fall down, worship me. All of this was an attempt to get Jesus to doubt, to question who he was, to respond again to that potential shaming experience. You're really not the son of God. Because if you were, here's how you'd prove it. And since you won't, you're not. Again, he's, he's trying to get Jesus to step out of who he already knew he was. He's trying to get Jesus to, again, your, your opinion of me, devil, matters. So I'm going to do this to prove something to you. And we do that all the time. And that's one of the ways that shame drives us. I'm going to prove that I'm not who you say I am, rather than just saying, I don't have to prove anything. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And I'm going to walk in that understanding, in that revelation. And I'm not going to allow your opinions, your shame to cause me to doubt, to question, to do anything different. That again, that is shame resilience. Wow. Okay. Let me give you the other keys. I'm not going to have time to go into these this morning. Practice critical self-awareness. Practicing critical awareness. Again, oftentimes you need to ask yourself this question, is the shame I'm feeling, is this really about me or is it about somebody else? Is this really about me or is this about somebody else? I could be in a conversation with, with Jim and we could disagree over something and I could call Jim a loser. Jim, you're a loser. Now Jim's got one of two choices there. Jim can take that on. My comment is meant to shame him. You're a loser. He can take that on and say, yeah, I, I, I am a loser. Or he can look at that and say, you know what, that's really humiliating. And I, I, don't, I don't deserve that. And this really isn't about me. It's more about Jeff. That's shame resilient. You're practicing critical awareness. This isn't about me. This is about him. Does it, that make sense? Okay, other two, and I'm just going to give those to you again really quickly. I'm not going to be able to, to go into those. Um, reaching out, own and share your story. Um, again, part of what was so freeing for Janie was, was we were able to kind of talk um, about that, that shaming experience, even though we didn't know at that time what it was. What's interesting is we both kind of shared a very similar experience in that we were giving talks uh, somewhere. She was giving a practice talk, and I had given a talk um, at Agape, and we both came away from that experience really feeling the potential for shame because it didn't go the way either of us wanted it to go. We didn't feel good about the way it went. We're kind of thinking, oh, I should have done this. I should have said that. And, and, and so there's just was this potential for shame. And so uh, we were, we, she were, was talking about that with me. And that's, that's, again, once you begin to talk about the things that are potentially trying to shame you, what happens is shame just begins 
to dissolve. It just begins to lose its grip. So again, just speak about it. Uh, own your story. Admit, you know what? I made a mistake, but I'm not a mistake. And, and again, find people that are going to be empathetic towards that, um, not people that are going to add to it. Um, you know, so you want to find people that are going to be able to just be empathetic with that. Again, they don't have to share your experience. All they need to be able to understand is the emotion you're experiencing. Um, and again, just to be uh, compassionate um, toward that. So that's, that is what I uh, mean when I talk about shame resilience. I want to just close this morning, and I just want to just allow some ministry time. So I'm going to just ask the worship team to come back up this morning. And I know this is a lot of information uh, to throw at you, but I do believe that shame is a very, very powerful emotion. And I believe that shame uh, has really driven um, a lot of us in, in a lot of very, very destructive and a lot of very hurtful. Uh, it, it keeps us enslaved. Like I said, oftentimes uh, shame really is one of the main ingredients um, in addictions, whether it's addiction to drugs, alcohol, shopping, food. Again, it's, it, shame is, is a part of that. And, and so this morning, I want to just offer an opportunity. I'm just going to ask uh, people from the prayer team, if you could just kind of come up. And, and if you're here this morning and, and you're just kind of dealing um, with areas of shame, issues of shame uh, in your life this morning, again, the best thing you can do to begin to break the hold on that this morning is just speak about it. Just beginning to share, I'm feeling shame. You don't have to go into the whole um, story. Just I'm feeling shame in this particular area of my life. And we're just going to begin, one of the things we want to pray over you is that God would just begin to break that hold of shame, that God would begin to kind of provide people in your life, people in your path um, that are going to be empathetic, people that maybe you can talk to and connect with and can kind of maybe share um, that experience that's causing that pain um, at a deeper level, that God's going to begin to provide people that are going to be able to help you kind of walk um, through that. So that's what I want to do this morning. So if you're here um, this morning and you've got just some areas areas that, that you just want to say, God, I just, I just need some help in this area. Again, one of the ways shame is going to drive you this morning is shame is going to tell you, no, you don't do that because people are going to think whatever. Again, you can't let that deter you. Shame resilience begins by saying, I don't care what other people think. I care what God thinks, and God wants to free me from this feeling, this emotion of shame. God wants to free me from the things that are driving my behavior, my addictions, my actions uh, through this shame. God wants to free me from that, and I don't care what anybody else uh, is thinking. So again, I just want to pray for that um, this morning. Father, again, we just thank you. We thank you that Jesus shows us the way through shame. Jesus didn't just talk about shame. He experienced it at a very real level numerous times in his life and in his ministry. And yet he shows us how to be resilient, how to be able to walk through there and, and not to surrender, to sacrifice our values 
to allow that to drive us in ways that are destructive or hurtful or ungodly. And Lord, we want to be able to walk in that same kind of shame resilience. Father, again, I pray that you'll help us, again, just to get in touch with the ways that, that shame speaks to us, the way that shame drives us, that we would kind of begin to understand and to see those triggers and God, just to be able to begin to talk about that, to be able to be open and to be able to share that uh, with others. And that God, in that sharing, we would not encounter judgment, but that we would encounter compassion, that we would encounter grace in our time of need, that we would encounter, uh, again, just love. And so, Father, as we again just begin to walk out of those areas of shame this morning. Father, again, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us um, this morning. So, Father, I just pray if there's any that just need uh, to be prayed for this morning, Father, again, we would just let go of what other people may think. It doesn't matter. That what matters to us, first and foremost, is what you think and who we are in you. So, Father, we just thank you for that. We pray again that you'll just continue to help us to walk deeper and deeper uh, in this area uh, of shame resilience. We just thank you again for the example of Christ, the victory of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you're here this You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.